Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we have spent time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Thanks, Ruth. And I want to let you know we appreciate the great response we've had to the first four seasons of the podcast. And we would love to bring more seasons and expand what we're doing with the podcast. But all those things take financial resources. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, we invite you to become a monthly patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com and searching for Strengthening the Soul of your leadership podcast. Steve, what is Patreon? I don't even know what that is. Oh my gosh, you're such a Luddite. <laughs> I know. Just enlighten me, please. Patreon is a great way that people who listen to you and who love the Ministry of Transforming Center and who've gotten things out of this podcast to be able to give $2 a month, $5 a month or more, and they get they get bonus content from you, Ruth, that no one else gets. Exclusive <laughs> Wonderful. bonus content. There's no downside to that, is there? There is no, no downside. downside. So go to patreon.com, everybody. Search for Ruth Haley Barton or Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. And please join us by becoming a monthly patron. We've made it to episode 11, Ruth, uh, receiving guidance. And so my first question is, one of the things that's always been beguiling to me in this story is after Elijah experiences God in the sheer silence, God again says, why are you here? And Elijah answers the same way mm -hmm. that he did before the experience. To me, that makes no sense. Yeah. Please yeah. explain that. I've been, I've wondered about that too. And a lot of times when there's a place in scripture that I really wonder about and mm -hmm. that bothers me, because it bothers me, oh, you know, yeah. I'd like to have heard Elijah say something radically different yeah. that shows that he's been transformed yeah. in the image yeah. of God. To be with yes, you. That's right. <laughs> and so I have to stay with it for a while. And so yeah. I keep my nose pressed to this, to this aspect of the story. And what I think I understand about this story is that um, Elijah is saying yeah, I've had this great experience with you on the mountain here, but I still have to go back to my life. My life is still what it was. The people are still being apostate. Um, it, they're still running around tearing down your altars and killing your prophets with a sword. And I still feel very isolated, like I'm the only one that's actually being faithful to God. That is still my life, and I have to go back there. Can you help me with that? Yeah. So that's that's how I see it now, that Elijah is saying, thank you for all this, but I still have to go back there. All that still exists. What do you got for me? I think that's kind of what's happening. Whether you're right or wrong, mm -hmm. I'm going to choose yeah. right. And like, this has been really nice up here, yep. you know, with you, but yep. I still have to go back there. Yep. So how are we supposed to go yep. back there? And this takes it beyond navel gazing. Mm -hmm. This takes it beyond, oh, you know, some separated mm -hmm. experience where you have right. this transcendent sacred experience that right. has nothing to do with mm -hmm. your real life. So I love that interpretation. Yeah. I really do. It just works. So how does God respond to Elijah? Well, God responds very practically, which is really fun to see. And practically in two ways, he, he gives Elijah two specific instructions. And it's interesting because Elijah doesn't actually ask for guidance. He just kind of lays his life out before God. And I think that's interesting too, because it shows me that we don't have to wrestle guidance from God, mm -hmm. that Elijah didn't really have to ask and beg for it. 
God offered it up quite freely. And that's been my experience is that God offers the guidance freely. He doesn't make me beg. And so what mm. I see here is that God doesn't make Elijah beg. Elijah lays his life out there again, really honestly before God. And God says, okay, I've got some guidance for you here. So the first one was strategic where God actually tells him that he needs to go back and appoint a new king, which Elijah does do. So that was tactical. It was strategic. But then God also says to Elijah, you know, the way you're living your life back there is not sustainable for you. You're, you are isolated. You are alone. And it's no wonder that you feel like you're all alone because that is how you're living your life. You're doing the Lone Ranger style of mm -hmm. leadership. So you need to go back and you need to share leadership with someone else in order for your life to be sustained for the long haul. So God actually tells him who it is. And it's a younger prophet, Elisha. And God says, go back, find Elisha, throw your mantle on him and begin to share leadership with him. Isn't that something that mm -hmm. God actually gives Elijah guidance for how to sustain his life in leadership? And I think God does that for us. I've experienced that many, many times when towards the end of, of an experience with solitude, God will actually say, you know what, the way you're doing that's not working for you. It's not mm -hmm. going to be sustainable. Here's, here's some things that you could do to change your life, to recalibrate in, in important ways. And so Elijah follows God's guidance. Elijah does go back and he does throw his mantle on Elisha. And it says that Elijah was able to sustain his life in leadership until the chariot swung low and carried him home. Mm. So God gets very practical with Elijah before Elijah reengages his life. And I find that to be really, really encouraging. Wow. So how does this work in your life? Mm. How does God give you guidance out of solitude? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. And one of the things that comes to mind is the practice that I have and with my um, administrative associate, uh, Daylene, that we receive lots of requests, both for myself to come and speak and do things and also for the Transforming Center itself to consider doing other things, other initiatives. And one of the principles that we've adopted is that we just don't respond to those right away because mm -hmm. Daily knows that I like to take this stuff into silence and solitude. So in the afternoon here at work when we're really busy and lots is happening, I'm kind of in my human mode where I'm sort of figuring things out, humanly speaking. But I have a regular practice of solitude and silence and I take every single invitation into my silence and into my solitude to see what God might have to say, to see if anything resonates with me, that God might be drawing me to it. And also to look and to be in touch with my own deeper desires for how I want to live my life. And does this correspond to my desire to live my life in sustainable ways? And sometimes it takes a few days. We'll talk about it, but then I'll go into silence. I might come out with something and sometimes neither one of us feels extremely good about it. And so she'll say, are you sure? Do you want to take some more time with it? So it's not just my own life in solitude, but I'll also be with it with people who discern with me. And so we really do take space and I take it into the quiet places. In fact, Thomas Kelly, the Quaker, writes about placing it next to the heart. You know, mm -hmm. so I'll take it and I'll place it next to my heart or my soul. I use those terms interchangeably. But that place where I am in touch with God's presence in my life, that place where I'm in touch with deepest desire, and I'll place it there and I'll say, how does it feel right there? You know, what does God have to say to me about that? And I will take as long as it takes. I will not let myself get pushed anymore. I don't let myself get pushed to make decisions quicker than I'm ready to make them. Because solitude is really important to listen to God and community is really important to listen to those who are walking with me deeply in community. And so we take time for that. And that is one significant way that I utilize solitude and silence as a place of finding guidance and seeking God's guidance. And 
Um, God is really generous. God mm. is a God who longs to lead us. God is our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd and wants to shepherd us through. And so we can trust that God will do that in God's way and in God's time. And Elijah's story really does show us that. Can you get uh, as practical as you can about learning how to notice the movements of discernment Mm -hmm. and the spirit, consolation, desolation, maybe beyond just pros and cons? Right, yes. Well, there are at least four things that I sit with in solitude and silence relative to discernment and decision making uh two of them are consolation and desolation just whether or not this particular opportunity or invitation feels like life or whether it feels like death and whether it feels like life or death to my true self or or my false Mm. self so i've gotten better at determining that there are sometimes invitations that stroke the ego in a certain way but if i go deeper like wait a second that takes me out of being with my family on this particular weekend or that takes me away from writing and I'm really committed to writing right now, or it just puts me on an airplane and the truth is I don't want to get on an airplane. So there's a lot of consolation and desolation that I can pay attention to. And especially, um, does it, does it console or give desolation to my true self or my false self? So solitude and silence gives me an opportunity to place it next to the heart and to see what's happening at the level of consolation and desolation. Um, obviously that's language that some of our listeners might not be familiar with, but we talk about that a lot in, in the episode on sacred rhythms and in the episode on pursuing God's will together. The other thing is, and I mentioned this already, it gives me an opportunity to place it next to desire. What Mm -hmm. are the deepest desires of my heart right now Mm -hmm. relative to the way I'm living my life? And because I have a very full family life here, um, where I live, I have a lot of desire around how I want to be with my family. Um, I've just, you know, recently walked through my own mother's death and the desire at that time was extremely deep to walk with her and to walk with her well and to walk with my dad during that time. So I said no to lots of things and including finishing a book. I just was not able to finish the retreat book in the, in the deadline that I had set because I wanted so much to walk with my parents in a certain way, um, to be with my daughters, to be available you know, to grandchildren, to the life, and also to be available to the life that my husband and I have crafted beyond our childbearing years. So I have a lot of desire around my family life and how I want to do my life here. So to, to let myself be in touch with those deep desires, as opposed to just the desire of the ego to say yes to every invitation that puts you, that promises to kind of put you on the map. You know what I yeah, mean? Absolutely. So important. Um, and then the other aspect that I can pay attention to is calling. Mm-hmm. You know, what mm-hmm. is my calling these days? And my calling has become more and more focused as time has gone on. Mm-hmm. And so to put a particular invitation next to my calling and to wonder, does this does this help me to say yes to God's call in my life or does it actually in subtle ways take me away from God's calling on my life right now? And so, wow, that's a lot to pay attention to. And you have mm-hmm. to have time and space for that. You have to have time to be with God with those things and to allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide you. And I, I'm pretty religious about it now because I'm in touch with all those things so deeply. Thank you for that. That was very helpful. And now I want to ask if, um, certain pastors, leaders, when it comes to certain decisions, they feel automatic. Are our first service is mm-hmm. totally packed. And yeah, so, so we need to add a second yeah. service. Yes. Um, or everyone <laughs> else is doing, you know, satellite campuses. So mm-hmm. we have to do it. Or, um, you know, it's time for a building campaign. Yeah. Whatever it is, I think I've been a pastor for 25 years mm-hmm. and I know what it's like to just go into automatic mode. Yeah. How do you arrest mm-hmm. that mode as a pastor or leader 
and those kinds of things yeah. that feel like, well, obviously we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very, very similar, actually. Only now you're looking at your life in community and you're looking at your, you know, your professional or your vocational rhythms. You're also looking at the community that you're leading and the essence of that community. So to take those kinds of either opportunities, they might be a real opportunity, or they could just be an impulse of the false self or something that you're reacting to as it relates to culture, because this whole multi-site thing is really new. I mean, (laughs) you know, and of course it's a big deal. Everybody's writing about it and so many churches are going to the multi-site, but that doesn't mean it's actually what God's calling you and your community to do. Um, And I think it might've been you and I who talked about even this, this opportunity, if you will, to go to a second service or a third. In many cases, mm-hmm. churches have filled up the Sunday morning services, the nine and the 11, and now they're thinking about Saturday night. And I think you and I have talked about this, that while that is a viable opportunity, and, and it is something that many churches are doing and doing well and would stand by, in your community, maybe you don't want to split your congregation that way. Because we also know that going to multiple services can actually interrupt this feeling that we're one community. And so now there's a community that seems to gather at nine and and the people that come at nine routinely form a sense of community and the people that come at 11 form a sense of community. And, and it almost starts to make it feel like there's two different congregations even. Well, I'm not making, I'm not making a judgment on one or the other. I'm just saying you as a pastor Mm -hmm. have to go down into the deep place about the kind of congregation you're, you're wanting to lead and what is God leading us to? And who are we at that level? And what do we deeply want? See, it's the very same set of questions, isn't it? Only you're asking it now as it has to do with your congregation. And those questions are extremely clarifying and may or may not go along with whatever the cultural phenomenon is right now. Uh, the other thing that I see pastors, and I've done it too, mm-hmm. is when you're discerning and deciding about mm-hmm. two services, three services, is you end up not talking to the people that it's going to affect yes, the most. Right, exactly. The, the kids ministry workers, mm-hmm. the tech team. Now they have to scramble yeah, to find all right. new volunteers. Yeah. And I've seen and I've the done. parking attendants, depending on well, how you're sure. big, you know. All, all that yeah. stuff where it's almost like the senior pastor comes down from on high and says, this has mm-hmm. got to happen. And it's, in fact, it's got to happen by mm-hmm. Easter. And that's four weeks away. But mm-hmm. hey, the, the <laughs> hey, kingdom is yes. the kingdom and that's God's right. people are in need and we have to do it. Um, can I share just a quick, Sure. so, and we may have talked about it. Mm -hmm. We may have even talked about it on the podcast. So I apologize if this is a a repetition, but our church that's only four years old, we went to two services Mm -hmm. and to a person, we Mm -hmm. felt like it did, uh, it had a negative effect. Mm -hmm. It, it was splitting our congregation. It went against our desires to be a community of people that knew Mm -hmm. each other. So we actually went back to one service and we discerned that together and we talked about it. And I remember one person saying this, this, so as a three, I I hated this, what he said, Mm -hmm. but it's going to look bad. Yeah. It's going to look like we're retreating rather than taking ground. Yep. Right. And that's exactly, but Mm -hmm. we had to say, no, no, no. Our desire is that we want to be a community that knows each other. I had to wrestle down my false self. Right. And I really right. did. Mm-hmm. That said, hey, two services looks cool and right. more people will come. And you know what? More people will come to two services. It's like mm-hmm. a movie theater. You know, if there's four showings, you're going to get more right. people. But that's not necessarily good for your mm-hmm. spiritual community. Right. And that's a, I, I just, I feel like that's a huge thing. Well, and what you're describing so effectively right there is the dynamic of something 
appealing to your false self or your true self. So it appealed to your false self Mm -hmm. to have the two services because that made you look better and more Mm -hmm. successful in the eyes of the world. But your true self was saying, but wait a second, our true desire is to be a community that journeys together. And this has actually made us feel like we're split. So our true self, and there can even be a corporate true self and false self as well. Yes. So yes, the yes. true self of who we are though, knows that we need to be one service, that that's, that's what we need to do to be well and to be the community God's calling us to be. And so there's this deeper consolation for the true self, even though the false self had, a, had an experience of having, you know, the ego stroked yeah. or whatever. And that's okay to like, it's actually such a gift to have that opportunity yeah. to notice the false mm-hmm. self and right. then and, and to choose then very choose. well because yes. you know what's getting stroked and what's not. And let me tell you, so that was two years ago. That has borne mm-hmm. good fruit. Yeah, It has borne good fruit. Doesn't necessarily mean we're bigger. In fact, mm-hmm. we're smaller. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we are healthier. You're truer. We're You're truer. truer. Mm-hmm. We're, and so it's these are the things. These yeah. are the things that leaders have to do. So um, what are a couple, maybe one or two practices that help us get in touch with our true desires uh, from our true self so that we can actually follow God's guidance? Mm -hmm. Well, that is the spiritual journey. I mean, the spiritual journey starts with desire. Mm -hmm. This book started with desire Mm -hmm. and inviting people to be in touch with desire to even allow it to deepen into desperation. So, you know, there's more on that in Sacred Rhythms because that's where the book Sacred Rhythms actually begins as a part of our spiritual journey to allow Jesus to interact with us about desire. What is it you want me to do for you? What are your deep desires? And so we have to take the time and create the space to be in touch with spiritual desire before any of this is even possible. Um, but sometimes we have to return to we it. We do. Because we right. can name it in the beginning. Right. But then we get yeah. busy. And... Well, and, so, and see, that's what a regular practice of solitude and silence gives us a place to continue to attend to our desire and to just sit with it openly and honestly in God's presence. And over time, as we practice solitude and silence over time, we get better and better. I don't mean to use no, no. performance language, but we get better and better at just dropping really quickly into that place where we're in touch with what's deepest and truest within us. Um, because that solitude place begins to represent that for us. And the soul just drops into that truer connection with what's deepest and truest within us, the presence of God in that place. And we just drop into it more easily than we used to in the beginning. Well, it's like we bring the solitude with us. Right. We're just quicker yeah. and quicker mm-hmm. to notice, eh, that's, yeah. that's, that's false a little self off. stuff. Yeah, that's, that's kind of off. Yeah. That's ego. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I love that. So now, Ruth, as you always do, take us into a mm-hmm. practice that would lead us to receiving God's guidance. Well, hopefully by now you're getting better and better at just settling into this prayer posture where your feet are flat on the floor. Um, you've uncrossed arms and legs just to... Pray with your body and tell God with your body that you're open and available and receptive to what God wants to bring during this time. If that uh, open-handed posture is something that feels true for you, go ahead and open your hands on your lap as a way of expressing your letting go as well as your, your capacity to receive. Let's take those three deep breaths. Noticing how good it is for your body to actually breathe deeply rather than shallowly. To notice how your breath helps you to focus on what's happening in the interior of your being 
rather than being so caught up in the externals of life. And now with your hands open, ready to receive what God has to bring, let's just pay attention to the last 24 hours and ask God to bring to mind a moment in the last 24 hours where you were connected with what brings you life. A moment when you were most grateful, a moment when you were able to give and receive love freely, a moment that seemed to just have a sparkle and a glimmer of life in it for you, was energizing to you. And just be with that for a moment. And look at it like a diamond and look at all the facets of it. What was it about that that brought you life? And allow it to fill you with good energy, with God-given energy and gratitude. And as you are aware of what gives you life, maybe allow this prayer to come up from deep within. Oh God, help me to choose life. Help me to choose more of what gives me life. I feel you inviting me to this, to more of, more of what gives me life. And now in the same 24-hour period, ask God to show you a moment that drained life from you. A moment where you felt least grateful. Where you felt least able to give and receive love. Where you noticed yourself holding yourself tight, unable to be given over to God and to others. Maybe you even had a sense of this particular situation draining life from you. And without judging it, just, just look at it for a moment. Turn it around in your hands and say, what was that? What was it that drained life from me in that moment? And then ask God, is there any guidance you have for me in this? Any way in which you are inviting me um, to set aside or to step back from situations that drain me like that? Any way in which I might have been able to do something to shift the energy of that and to bring life to it? And again, how are you inviting me to choose life, to choose blessings so that I can live and so the people around me can live? What's the guidance that comes from having noticed something that drains life from me?
And as we close this time of meditation, this time of quiet in God's presence, we hear God saying to us, like he said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 30, See, I have set before you life and death. Now choose life so that you and your descendants might live. And together we say, yes, amen, yes, I'll do that. I'll choose life. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts to choose from, and we are grateful you spent the last 30 minutes with us. If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation. I was a part of Transforming Community Number 6 way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. Transforming Community is a practice-based spiritual formation journey with nine quarterly retreats. The Transforming Community is designed to integrate your spirituality and leadership, helping you reclaim practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we would love to hear from you, and there are three ways that you can respond. One is going to patreon.com, search for Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, and you can become a monthly patron at various levels. Second is that you can share your favorite episode with friends. And third is you can go onto iTunes and leave a rating and review. To find out more about the Transforming Community Experience or to apply, go to transformingcenter.org. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. May your